0: All right, so let's pray. We are going to start in week, week eight of the Exile and Hope series, and we are going to dive in as we continue through 1 Peter. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that your word is powerful, that it, it works in our life and it, and it does surgery. It, it exposes the areas of our life that need to be conformed and more conformed to the image of Christ. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to the word of God we submit ourselves to its work in our life. and God, I just pray that you would speak to your people here today. God I pray that they would surrender all that they are, and that they would receive the word of God into their hearts. And God, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So I'm preaching a message titled this morning, "A Desperate Desire." A desperate desire. And I think it's important that we don't lose the context of the entire book of 1 Peter, and then we're eventually going to go through 2 Peter. But the entire context of what we're looking at in 1 Peter is that, is that Peter is writing a letter to exiled Christians. And hence the title of the whole series, Exiled in Hope. He's writing a letter to Christians who are dispersed all throughout the Roman Empire because of persecution. Because they are standing for their faith, they're they're declaring their faith, they're living their faith, and because of that reality, they are coming under persecution. And many of them, as we talked about a few weeks back, Nero was the emperor of Rome during that time. And he brought brought persecution to a level that, that, that is unthinkable. For us to process that Christians that believe in the same Christ that we believe in were burned at the stake, were set on, doused in oil and set on fire and used for lanterns for Nero. Just terrible, horrific things that they walk through. This is the context of the letter that Peter is writing. And we've been kind of looking through that lens every time we look at uh, these verses that we're, as we're walking through 1 Peter. And so it's interesting as we look at these next few verses, the the, the apostle Peter is really going to start to switch his focus. He's gonna he's gonna start to focus now on these believers and the, their their inward attitudes, their inward attitudes, and and how they how they are feeling and thinking about the their lives and their world around them. He's gonna focus on their inward attitudes, and you know the inward attitude of our heart is so important. Would you agree with that? how we how we feel and how we think on the inside matters because how we think and feel on the inside has the potential to really to really uh, burden our heart to really challenge our heart and eventually ultimately if we're not careful the way we think on the inside is going to make its way out on the outside and this is the context now i want to specifically focus on the reality that these christians are living amongst people in the world that do not like them as as i've just said And so Peter's going to deal with their inward attitude, and I believe it is a direct connection to how they feel about those, how they think about those that don't like them. How do you think about those that don't like you? What are your inward attitudes about those? Maybe do you have somebody in your life that doesn't like you because of your faith in Christ? How is your inward attitude towards them? You know, I was watching a video of a politician. I don't recommend that. I was watching a video of a politician. This politician, it was a congressman, this is just a week ago. He's clearly a Christian. He was standing up in Congress and they were debating the Equality Act. So they're debating this horrendous Equality Act. And this man got up there and this man was full of courage. I wanted to high-five him through my cell phone screen. I, wanted to, I, I want to get the guy, I, I, I might even contact his office and thank him for his courage. He got up there and he stood up in front of the Congress and he, and he said, this, this Equality Act, it violates God's word. And he said, this, this stance about gender and sexuality and all of this, it violates God's word. And listen, he said this, he said, and we will come under the judgment of God in our nation if we do not repent. And I'm like, are we? Am I, am I watching church? And somebody interrupted him, and it was a man named Jerry Nadler. <laughs> come on now, come on now. And Jerry Nadler, Jerry Nadler said this. He spoke to the congressman. He said, Cong- Congressman so and so what some religious belief or text says about God has no place in this Congress. And I thought, oh, Lord, help Congressman Nadler. And then I started reading the, con- the comments. That's, that's not a good idea either. <laughs> so I read in the comments. And you know what was, was interesting was you had people on one end that were praising the the, the congressman who stood for biblical truth. But then you had those who who were really angrily attacking Representative Nadler. And I thought about that in the context of what I'm speaking about here this morning. Is Representative Nadler wrong from a biblical perspective? Absolutely, he's wrong. But what are the inward attitudes that we have towards those who don't agree with us? What are the inward attitudes of our hearts towards those that oppose biblical truth? And this is what we're going to look at here today. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. It says this. Peter says this to exiled, persecuted, hated believers in the midst of a culture that does not like them. And does not like their message. He says, so put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter talks about some attitudes we've got to put away, and he talks about one attitude that we must fully embrace. He has some attitudes we have to put away. There's some inward attitudes we have to put away living in the midst of a world that is not that is not following the way of Scripture. And, and there's an attitude of the heart that we must fully embrace. So that's what we're going to look at here this morning. The first couple of attitudes, the first inward attitude, I, I, I would say, and the first action that comes out of that attitude that we must put away is this. Put away malice and slander towards those who oppose our message. Put away malice and slander towards those who oppose our message. When Peter says there in in 1 Peter 2, 1, put away malice, and he says malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and he says slander. I want to connect malice and slander together because I believe that they go together. Malice, malice is a deep-seated anger. It's like this stirring, this bubbling at the depth of your heart. It's at the, the, the deepest place of your heart, this bubbling, this stewing anger. Have you ever felt that way towards someone or something or a situation? Yeah. What comes out if you do not deal with that malice? Slander. Hatred. Evil speaking. Evil actions. Malice. Deep-seated malice and, and anger and hatred. If it's left unchecked and it's not put away, then it comes out in actions and in, in, in words that are hurtful, that are hateful, that are mean. What is Peter saying? Think. Don't forget this context. He's looking. Certainly. Certainly certainly he could be saying that we should put away malice and slander within the body of Christ. That's a given. Pastor Kevin, who's teaching our kids right now, he talked about the love last week that we should have for one another, that should be reflected in our love for one another. So certainly he could be speaking also about that we should not be malicious towards one another, we should not be envious, deceitful, hypocritical, and slanderous towards one another. Absolutely. But I think the broader context of where these Christians are this would really have met their world, front and center. You mean I, I can't be angry? i got to put away this, this deep-seated anger in my heart? Look, look at what they've done to me. Look what they've done to my kids, to my wife, to my children, to my church family, to my brothers and sisters in Christ. When he says to put away, what, what he's speaking of is this, this. This phrase, put away, is the idea of taking, let's just say, for example, something's popping the battery is brand new. I don't know. Oh, I don't like using a handheld. I preach with my hands. I'm a Cajun. Charlie, tell me if, if you think I can still use it. You want to try again? Let's try. One, let's try once more. When he says put away, let's just use this as an example, and we can. it, it, it applies across the board. I've, I've been playing golf all day, <laughs> and I'm sweaty, and I'm hot, and, and it's been, it was, let's just say it's, it was a wet day out on the course, and I've hit a bunch of bad shots. I got mud all over my clothes. I come into the house, and, and I'm full of dirt and grime from the bad day of golf that I've had, and what do I need to do with all those clothes? I gotta take them off. I gotta put them away. This is the picture. And you could put that. You, you hunters that go out and hunt. You fishermen that go out and fish. Wherever you're working in the oil field, whatever industry that you're in, you come home. You've worked. You've played all day. You come home. You're dirty. You're filthy. You stink. What do you do with your dirty, filthy, stinky clothes? You take them off and you you put them in the dirty laundry basket, and they have to be, and you got to take that Tide pod and put them into the to the to the to the washing machine, right? This is the picture that Peter is saying. This is the picture that these words "put away" means. It means that that the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy, the anger, the slander, all of those things they dirty us up, and we have to put them away like a soiled garment. We got to push them far from us. Peter is saying that if we are going to demonstrate in our life the power of the gospel to transform from the inside out, we are going to have to put away the things that stain our life. We have to put away the inward attitudes that can be reflected in our life. We have to get rid of those things. And think about how easy it is for us today. Not how much more difficult was it for those believers and what they were experiencing? But how, how easy is it for us even today, even though we're not persecuted Even though we're not fearful for our life at this point because of our faith. But how easy it is to watch a YouTube video just get angry. Get angry at that guy. What a fool. Right? How easy it is to look at people that don't agree with you and say, I just, I don't want to be around them. Because they bother me. How easy is that? But we cannot, we we have to put away malice and slander towards those who oppose our message. I would contend that we struggle in the same way as Peter's listeners. Different realities, but same struggle. And if we're not careful, we can develop disdain for those who loudly oppose the biblical truths we hold so dear. We can develop disdain for them. Those who don't agree with our politics are not our enemies. Those who disagree with our politics are not our enemies. Amen? Are you just listening carefully or are you unsure of that statement? (laughs) They're not our enemies. Those who live contrary to God's word are not our enemies. What are they? They're a mission field. They're our mission field. Look, 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 we don't, that that doesn't mean that we lower the standard of biblical morality. It doesn't mean that we don't preach the gospel of Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't stand for biblical truth. Yes, we stand for biblical truth, but we cannot get to the place in our stand for righteousness that we lose the compassion of Christ for those who are lost. We have to have compassion for those who don't know Christ. They are deceived. Scripture says this in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says this about those who don't know Christ. He says this, Scripture says that they are blinded by their sinful nature. All of those who are apart from Christ, they're blinded by their sinful nature, but then they are also blinded by the God of this present age, which is Satan. He is the ruler of this present age, and he has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they are living under a double blindness, doubly deceived. And so we have to be compassionate towards them. You know, it really, it reminds me of Jonah. You guys remember back when I went through the book of Jonah uh, a few months back before COVID happened? You guys know the story of Jonah? Jonah, the prophet? Jonah gets called to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was known as a wicked city. Nineveh was known as a city of people that were not just wicked in their lifestyle, sexuality, and all those areas, but they were, they were violent. They were a violent people. They were a violent people and they, not only would they kill their enemies, but they would torture their enemies. They were known for their violence. And so people were very fearful of the Ninevites. And, and for a Jewish prophet, for the Jewish prophet Jonah, not only was he scared for his life to go to Nineveh, but he had a stewing hatred for the Ninevites. And, and we know the story. He, he doesn't want to go. So what, what does he do? He runs. He runs. I, I, I'm not going to go. Do this. And you know the story. He, 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 he gets on a ship, tries to flee as far away as he can, and the ship about gets capsized, and, and, and so they're trying to figure out what's going on, and Jonah says, It's me! It's me! This is happening to you because of me! I'm rebelling from God. I'm running from God. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't want to speak to those evil, terrible people. Throw me overboard. So they throw him overboard. He gets swallowed up by a giant fish. Even then it takes three days for him to repent. Think about that. That's not a minor detail of the story of Jonah. You throw me overboard in crazy seas, I'm repenting. I don't need a giant fish. Yes, Lord, I'll go. Finally repents after three days, the fish spews him out. He goes, he preaches. Now, he doesn't preach an eloquent sermon, basically says, turn or burn. <laughs> that's what he says. Turn or burn. Judgment's coming. And what do they do? From the king to the cattle, they repent. I don't know how cattle repents, but that's what the Bible says. Everybody from the king to the cattle turns back to God. And Jonah is sitting up on the hillside waiting to watch what's going to happen. And how do, I know, how do we know? How do we know that he never got a hold of the compassion of Christ? is that the story ends with God having to teach Jonah a lesson because he's waiting up there to see what's going to happen to them. Is God going to judge them? And, and, and God says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And he says, God, I know, I knew that if I went that you would be merciful and compassionate. I knew who you are. You're a God of mercy and compassion. That's why I didn't want to go because I knew you'd have mercy on him. And God gives him the shade tree. The shade tree gets destroyed by the sun, and God says, "Do you well to be angry about the shade tree?" and 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 Jonah says, "Yes, I do do well and to be angry." And he says, "Well, couldn't you have compassion on people who are made in the image of God, as much as you are angry about losing shade for your head?" May we never be like Jonah. May we never lose compassion and. Who, who, who is the complete opposite of Jonah when you look at a biblical narrative? It's Christ. Jesus is our example. Now, look, I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm not telling you it's easy to be compassionate for those who don't believe in Christ, who, who are contrary to Christ and flaunt their, 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 their hatred towards Christ. I'm not saying it's easy to do that, but Christ is our example. Jesus is, is being whipped, he's being beaten. He's being ridiculed. He's being mocked. His beard is being ripped out. The crown of thorns placed on his head. He's being spit on. Being ridiculed. He's being torn to shreds. He's on the cross. His enemies are attacking him and killing him. Luke 23. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals. One on his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. Now, are they still accountable for their actions? Is that what that means? No, it, it, they are accountable for their actions. They are accountable. You, look, you go to the book of Acts, and Peter stands up and preaches the gospel and points to the Jews that crucified Christ and said, You crucified the Lord of glory. But he's speaking to the reality that they are deceived, that if they would have known that he was the Messiah, that he was the Lord of glory, they would not have crucified him. But in the midst of his pain, his agony, his torture, his abuse, he says, Father, forgive them. Father, have mercy on them. May we love the world the same way our Lord does. May we look past the obvious sins of those who are in the world. And when I say look past, I don't mean not stand for righteousness. But what I mean is, is look through it. Look through the sin. There's something behind it that is causing that. Look look through it. See into the heart. See the brokenness that's under the surface. May we have the compassion because they're deceived and blinded by the gods, the false gods of this present age. And may we declare 2 Corinthians 5 20, that we are ambassadors for Christ, that God making his appeal through us, that we implore them on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Amen? Be reconciled to God. So I was thinking about how it is that we struggle with this. I struggle with it just as much as you do. But what is one quick fix in helping us to be compassionate towards those that don't agree with our message? Can you guys think of something? Pray for them. That's a good idea. It's always a good idea. Pray for your enemies, Jesus said. Absolutely. Remembering my forgiveness. That's straight from 1 Corinthians 6. Listen to this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We, st- we hold the truth high, Right? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. God's word is true, and every man is a liar. Right? We stand for biblical truth. And such were some of you. And such were some of us. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Amen? That's how we walk in compassion. You have to live a life of such were some of us. But we were washed. If it wouldn't be for the grace of God, we'd all be Jerry Nadler sitting in Congress, mocking God. Do you, do you believe that? It's true. It's true. Without the grace of God, we'd be Jerry Nadler in the halls of Congress, mocking a living God. It's only by God's grace that we are, we are where we are. It's only by his grace that we are forgiven. It's only by his grace that we have clear biblical thinking that helps us to understand the world around us. Only by God's grace. We must put away malice that leads to slander towards those who are our mission field. Amen? Amen. Secondly, here today, put away envy and the hypocrisy that follows. Okay, so, so we have to put away malice and, and slander towards those who are our mission field. We must pray for them. Be filled with compassion. We stand for truth. We stand for righteousness, but we do it with hearts of compassion because we know that they are deceived. They are lost. Now he says this. We must put away envy. And, and I phrase it like this. The hypocrisy that follows. Notice back at the text. Put away all malice. And we talked about slander. But then he says all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. Deceit and hypocrisy are the same thing. If you're deceitful, you're a hypocrite. And he's speaking to Christians here. So, so if you're deceitful as a Christian, you're a hypocrite. I think that envy, it's listed third. After deceit and hypocrisy, I think envy is the root of deception and hypocrisy. I think envy is what can begin to happen in our lives. So, so we can look at the world, we can look at their message, and we can see their hatred towards the things of God. We can see their ignorance and their foolishness and their lifestyle, and it can cause us, if we're not careful, to be malicious and, and angry and to speak slanderous words against, against them. But then also, if we're not careful, we can begin to be envious of them. Why? Because we can think they live the way they want to live and nothing happens. They live the way they want to live. They, 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 they reject God. Jerry Nadler rejects God. He didn't know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say his name ten times in my sermon today. Right? He rejects God, but he got away with it. He got away with it. You Look at people living lifestyles and you think they're getting richer and richer. They're getting more influence and more power. And if we're not careful, we can become envious of evildoers we can become envious of evildoers and you think oh i would never do that i think sometimes we all do it i think the psalmist david did it you guys remember psalm 73 listen to psalm 73 we we wrestle with that the psalmist david did look at psalm 73 but as for me my feet had almost stumbled my steps had nearly slipped for i was envious of the arrogant when i saw the prosperity of the wicked For they have no pangs until death. Meaning, they live like they want to live. They don't have pangs in their heart of conviction until death. They live the way they want to live, David says. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. How's that possible, to have fat and sleek bodies? (laughs) I don't understand that language. But meaning that they're just full of life. And everything's working out for them. They can be fat and sleek at the same time. Perfect bodies, I guess. (laughs) They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. Wow. Isn't that interesting? They set their mouths against the heavens. Jerry Nadler In Congress, they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? There is no God. He's not going to know. We're going to get away with it. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Look what Psalmist David says. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands of innocence. If we're not careful, we can look at the world around us and think they're getting away with murder. They're getting away with it. They're not being judged. And Peter says to these first century persecuted Christians, put away envy. Living out your faith in the middle of a hostile world can cause us to be envious of the ease with which we see unbelievers live out life according to their own desires. People that don't know Christ are living out their life according to their own desires. And here we are, what's the core of Christianity? The core of Christianity is this. It's a call to die to yourself and your own desires. So we're living the life of trying to sacrifice our own desires for the greater cause of Christ. And here you have non-believers, they live everything in, in accordance to their own desires. And here we are, we're sacrificing, we're saying no to sin, we're saying no to the flesh. And here they are, saying yes to the flesh, and they're getting rich doing it. They live at ease in their life. You know what can happen? Hear me, listen. If we're not careful, if we don't put that away, we can become envious of that lifestyle, and we can think that that lifestyle is the good life. Maybe we've missed it. Maybe we've lost it. Maybe we've gone the wrong path. Maybe this is not the right path, and you begin to look a little bit closer at the pursuits that the world has, and you think maybe maybe I can dabble in a little bit of those same pursuits. The root of that is envy. The root of that is looking at something and thinking I'm missing out and I want what they have and you begin to change your priorities. When envy takes root in your heart, you begin to change your priorities. Do you not? It's a temptation. When we allow envy to reside in our heart, it becomes the seed that produces deceit and hypocrisy. The idea of hypocrisy in this text, when we talk about deceit and hypocrisy, Hypocrisy is the idea of a stage actor. Okay, so back in the day, stage actors would wear masks and they would be acting. So it's the idea that I am presenting something on the outside that is not true of who I am on the inside. I, I, I or who I am on the inside is not pr- projected by who I am on the outside. I have a mask. I say I'm a Christian, but but that's just a, a mask that I'm wearing because who who I am on the inside is different. And I believe that if we don't root out envy. Of the world. We don't root out envy of the world's system and the world's ways. And we don't, we don't root that out, put that away. If we're not careful, our hearts can get connected to the things of this world. And then we can start wearing a mask. And our heart, listen, listen, so important. Our hearts can love the pleasures of this world. And we just put on a Christian mask and we say all the right things. Our hearts can be attracted to ungodly things, and we can just put on a Christian mask and say all the right things, yet our heart is far from God because we've been envious of the world. we started with malice and hatred towards the world because, because we just can't believe they're standing for unrighteousness, and then we see they don't suffer for it. We see they don't have any consequences for it. We see that they're so, so-called getting away with it, and all of a sudden, our heart starts to gravitate and say, well, wait a minute. I, what, why am I living this life of of a Christian. We get envious. And then if we're not careful. We can become hypocrites. I want to tell you. An example of this. And, and, and it, you know. This is, this is very difficult to talk about. But it's true. And I believe the root. Of what I'm about to tell you. About this person. Who proved to be a hypocrite. I believe the root was Envy. The root in this man's life, his name is Ravi Zacharias. You guys have all heard of Ravi Zacharias. Maybe most of you, some of you, maybe not. But if you do know who Ravi Zacharias is, you know what has happened in his life. He's, since, he's passed away. But Ravi Zacharias was a defender of the Christian faith. He stood for biblical truth and he defended the f- Christian faith in really powerful ways. And some of you were impacted by his life. He dies a few months ago. Several months ago. And there were reports years ago about sexual misconduct in his life. And other issues in his life. And so those things resurfaced after his death. And so his ministry, Ravi Zacharias International Ministry, they hired investigators to do a private investigation of all the evidence and to come out with a report about his life. And whether it was true, because I believe they did the right thing. They owed it to people who had followed him. And so, sure enough, it came out that the, the, the number of women that he abused, that he sexually abused, impacted negatively. I mean, the list goes on and on. I don't even want to talk about all the details. They're just horrendous details. And you know what I believe happened? Was that Ravi Zacharias, at some point in his life, became envious of the world. He looked at the pleasures of the world, and he wanted them. He became envious. He had what God had given him in marriage, which is a a woman that he had a lifelong commitment with. And he said, it's not enough. He said, it's not enough. I want what I cannot have. I want what God says I cannot have. And he put up a mask and for years spoke the truth of Scripture, but his heart was far from God. That's the path that envy will take you. It will lead you, if you, become, if you become deceived in your heart and you begin to think the world just gets away with it, so maybe they're living the good life. <laughs> maybe this is the life to live. And Envy sets in, and we can, we can have that frequency in our ear that's only been tuned to the ways of God, that frequency begins to be changed, and now we can begin to listen to the, to the frequency of the world. And my heart grieves for those who were impacted by the hypocrisy of Ravi Zacharias. And you know what? It's a warning for all of us. It's a warning for all of us. How do we respond to that? First Corinthians 10 tells us how to respond to a story of a of a prominent or any Christian figure, any Christian who falls from grace. This is how we respond to it. 1 Corinthians 10. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide you a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. What we learn from lessons like that is that all of us can be hypocrites. All of us can put up that mask. All of us can put up that front. All of us can be deceived to go the path of envy of the world and their ways and their lies. All of us can be. And the prayer is is that we would take heed that we do not go that same path. That we would not be filled with pride and think that we're beyond that. That we would take heed. So, how do we snap out of that deception? Maybe you're here today and, and you've been walking in that deception. How do you snap out of this deception? You've, you've looked at the way, you're looking at the ways of the world and you're like, I don't really know. I'm kind of feeling like maybe I'm going to try a little bit of that because this Christian life is just really difficult. How do you snap out of it? The Bible helps us. The second half of David's cry. He cries and says, God, they're getting away with it. They're getting rich off of rebelling against you. And look at Psalm 73, the next verses. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in my heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as for me, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. The end of unrighteousness is judgment. We have to remind ourselves and remind ourselves of what God's word says. Yes, righteousness and uh, unrighteousness and sin looks good for a season, but the end is destruction. We cannot allow ourselves to be angry and hateful towards those who don't know God, who are opposing our message, biblical truth. And we cannot also be envious of them because judgment is going to come. And everyone will be held accountable for the life that they live, no matter how good Things look for those who are not following the Lord. We are shaped by an eternal perspective. Our perspective is not what it used to be now that we belong to Christ. So, lastly, this morning, first, we've we got to throw off malice and slander. We've got to throw off envy and hypocrisy that will follow envy. And lastly, this morning, where's our help? Our help is this desperately desire what empowers the Christian life. Look back at the text. We must desperately desire what empowers the Christian life like newborn infants. He says, put away, put away these inward attitudes that are not godly. And he says this like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tasted the Lord is good. Peter points to the source of our spiritual growth. How are we going to put those things away? That malice and that slander and that envy and that deceitfulness and that hypocrisy how are we going to put it away we're going to long we have to long for the pure spiritual milk of the word peter points to the source His point he first pointed to the things we must put away or throw off but now he points to the foundation of how we mature in our walk with the lord he points us to the word of god and says that that, that by it we grow up into salvation so what, what's peter saying here when, when he says we grow up into salvation Do you gradually get saved? Is that how it works? You can talk to me. Do you gradually get saved? It's kind of like Saul on the road to Damascus. What happened to Saul? A bright light shone from heaven, and he got knocked off his donkey. That's how you get saved. You get knocked off your donkey. You get knocked off your high horse. God awakens you to your unrighteousness and and shows you you cannot be righteous on your own, and you need the righteousness of Christ. And you repent, and in a moment, you become saved. That's how you get saved. So what is Peter saying? Amen. What's Peter saying? Growing up into salvation. This is the idea that I thought. So I've got a way to illustrate what it means to grow up into salvation. So you can put up that image there. So if I took a eight-foot-tall person and stuck them up against a wall and drew an outline of their body, and then they went and walked away, and then I said, okay, well, I'm going to go and stand in that outline, I don't know if this is eight foot tall. it looks a little bit taller. I'm five foot 11, right? So I'm in the outline, right? I'm in the faith. But look how much room I have to grow, right? Some days I've got a little bad, I've got bad posture. (laughs) Some days I'm standing a little bit more upright. Now, some people are a little shorter than me. Some people are taller than me. But we all have room to grow, don't we? Right. So no matter where you are in your walk with Christ, you can never get to the point where you think I've, I've gotten up to where I, I, I need to be yet. We all have room to grow. And that's that's the picture. We're growing up into salvation. Now, whose image, whose image are we are we up against? It's Christ. It's Christ. Listen to this. This is Romans eight. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the image that we are up against. That we, are, we are in Christ and we're growing up into that image. We're filling that image out. He's increasing us. He's growing us. He's maturing us. 2 Corinthians 3.8. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image by one degree of glory to another. We are growing up into salvation because of the word of God. As we are exposed to the truths of God's word, the word of God does the work of maturing us in our walk. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God to press the truth of God into our hearts, and it transforms our desires, which in turn transforms our actions. We're growing up into, into that image more and more each and every day. So now, that's what happens. We we This is how we, this is what God does in our lives to help us throw away and put away the things that displease him. He grows us up into salvation, into the salvation He's he's given us by faith. But he, he uses the word of God. But let's work our way backwards into the last two verses. Peter says we'll grow up into, into salvation. We will become more conformed to his image as we are exposed to what? The pure spiritual milk. Pure spiritual milk of the word. Scripture is described as pure spiritual milk. In other portions of God's word, it's described as pure. It's the milk of God's word. As we are exposed to the pure spiritual milk of the word, that's how we grow up into salvation. Look at at what Proverbs 30, verse 5 through 6 says. It says, every word of God is what? It's pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his, every word of God is pure. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So we are being conformed to the image of Christ, and he's using the pure spiritual milk of the word, but that word is pure. We cannot add to it. It's got to be the pure spiritual milk of the word. It's kind of like this. It's like skim milk. Who drinks skim milk here? Willingly. <laughs> There's a difference between willingly and unwillingly for health reasons, right? Who willingly drinks skim milk? That's not pure milk. That's like water. Like if I would eat my cereal, I want whole milk. I, I could just go put my Cheerios under the sink and put water in it if I wanted to. This is the idea of pure spiritual milk. It's not diluted. You're not going to grow in your faith if you're getting diluted stuff from God's word. If you're hearing messages that are skim milk messages, if you're hearing messages from preachers other than than us in this pulpit here, and it's skim milk messages, you're not going to grow from that that half-baked skim milk message. You're not going to. You need the red cap. You need whole... Milk, amen. <laughs> False teaching. I'm almost done. I'm, look, I'm about the whole month of March, so yeah, I ca- ca- cut me some slack. I told Estelle, I said I'm going out with a bang. I've got ten pages and 2,600 words. Normally, I'm seven pages and about 2,000. So just bear, bear with me. False teaching or twisted doctrine. This is serious. <laughs> False teaching or twisted doctrine is like skim milk. It's diluted. It's not pure milk. It's watered down. Or worse yet, it's like spoiled milk. What do you do with spoiled milk? You spit it out. If you don't know it's spoiled, you spit it out because it's spoiled. That's what false doctrine is. You will not grow unless you're hearing pure spiritual milk of the word. Watch. Be careful what you listen to. If the the messages we preach... If the messages we preach are diluted truth, we're diluting the truth. We are missing the boat. You cannot have a steady diet of watered-down preaching or watered-down exposure to God's word and expect to be continually sanctified. You can't have a steady diet of rotten milk and expect to be empowered by the Spirit to throw off or to put away (coughs) what hinders your walk and your witness. So we grow up into salvation. God uses the pure spiritual milk of the word to mature us, to grow us up. And now, now let's work our way back one more time in that, those next verses, those verses that we that we looked at. Peter says, long for that pure spiritual milk. This is how you're going to grow. He uses the word to grow us up. It's the pure spiritual milk. And he says, You have to long for it. Long for this pure spiritual milk. And how does he say you have to long for that pure spiritual milk? Like what? A newborn baby. When that, that phrase newborn is translated out, it, li- it literally means "firstborn" or just born, just born. Like a newborn baby, it really means just born. So that baby, when that baby comes out of a womb, what does it do? After the doctor slaps it on the rear end, it starts to scream and cry. Why? Because it needs the milk. And why is that baby crying for that milk? Because that baby needs that milk to live. Needs that milk to live. We must long for the pure milk of the Word of God in the same way a baby craves its mother's milk for survival. You do you crave God's word like you crave food for for survival? How convicting is that, right? To long for the pure spiritual milk of the word just like you long for food to eat. Do you remember Jesus in Matthew 4, he was tempted? By, by, by Satan, he was tempted. Satan comes with his temptations. What does Jesus have to do? He's got to put away. He's got to put away. He's got to throw away. He's got to push back. He's got to say no, right? Just as Peter's calling us to put away these, these attitudes and these sins, right? Put them away. What does Jesus point to? He says this. Jesus answered the temptations. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He says man doesn't just live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We must desperately desire the word of God because we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And the words that proceed from the mouth of God today are found right here. Right here. This is what has proceeded from the mouth of God. How do I know that? Because of what it says. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is what? Breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for correction, for teaching, for training, right? That malice bend that's in your heart. They'll breathe out words of God correct and train. That envy, that slander, that deceitfulness, that, that hypocrisy, the word trains our heart. We live by the breathed out word of God. And the word of God in scripture form is the way in which God speaks to our heart on a daily basis and transforms us and changes us. All scripture is inspired by God. The very breathed out words of God, infallible, inerrant, profitable for everything we need to be conformed into the image of Christ even in the middle of a culture that relentlessly wants to shape us into their image and to adopt their values. The Holy Scriptures are sufficient. The Holy Scriptures are enough. The Holy Word of God is essential. Amen? Do you believe that today? I'm going to end with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. If we want revivals we must revive our reverence for the word of God. If we want conversions, we must put more of God's word in our sermons. Nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens within our years, with our years. Within the scripture, there is a balm for every wound, a salve for every sore. The Bible in the memory is better than the Bible in the bookcase. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, your infallible, inerrant, without error word. The very breathed-out words of God, we thank you that what it does in our life is that when we live in the middle of a culture that has thrown off restraint, has rejected Christ, Lord, your word of God presses into us and reminds us that those people are not our enemies. They're not our enemies, but they're our mission field. They were called to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, teaching them to observe all that you've commanded. God, that is our call, the great commission. God, I pray that we would be about that great commission, that we would allow the word of God to transform us, to make us effective disciples, effective disciples for you. God, I thank you for for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for maturing us and growing us. Help us to put away all the things that are hindering our walk and our witness through the power of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I love you. And I'll see you April the 4th.